This week's Mumbrella Cast is brought to you by Sesame. Being chased by the content beast? Get Sesame, the magic marketing platform that creates and shares branded content in no time. Slot to the content beast with Sesame now. Go to sesame.com. That's S E S I M I.com. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, and joining me to break down this week's news in media and marketing is Mumbrella's editor at large and the proprietor of Unmade, Tim Burrows. Tasmania checking in. You're not so much at large, though, are you? Because you're just always on the podcast each week <laughs> on a Thursday. I know where you are. <laughs> That's right. I'm not particularly predictable. I'm more a creature of habits. If Callum is a content beast, then I'm a <laughs> habit creature. <laughs> Love it. Senior reporter Emma Shepherd is also joining us. Hey, Damo. Good to be here. And uh, soon to be out of lockdown, Mumbrella cast producer from Melbourne, Callum Jaspin. Hi, Damo. Don't don't want to brag, but um, this has actually been my eighth personal lockdown and hopefully my last. Well, that is bragging, mate. That's an impressive figure. Congratulations, and I'm sure you're looking forward to getting out of it. But uh, later on, Cal will be interviewing 10 Viacom CBS's Chief Content Officer and Executive Vice President Beverly McGarvey and Chief Sales Officer Rod Prosser about whether ventures into other sports may be on the cards. So we obviously, we, we do have other um, tactical sports plays within our environment, but the football is obviously um, the most significant in terms of volume. We obviously yeah. have Spring Carnival coming up as well. 10 marketing itself as the under 50s network. The, the reality is, is we, we have a, we, we talk about a percentage of our audience, um, it sits within those those demos and, and mm-hmm. skews under 50. And, and that's that, yeah, that can't be disputed. And two months in, how Paramount Plus is progressing and plans moving forward. I don't think anybody is super direct with their their um, numbers on SVOD. <laughs> All I will say is it, it's it's bigger than we had forecast. But before we get to all of that, Cal, the news topics for this episode. Yeah, Damo, we're going to be giving our thoughts today on Ten's upfront presentation first, um, as you've alluded to there. And then we're also going to be digging a little bit deeper into the talent shortage that is facing the industry right now, as you discussed in depth over this past weekend in the Best of the Week mail-out, with figures from the IAB also confirming that this morning. 10 Viacom CBS, and we really need to find an acronym for that, uh, recently presented its 2022 upfronts. It's first with uh, an SVOD component following the launch of Paramount Plus two months ago. It kicked things off with some statements and promises around diversity, inclusion, and sustainability, even before it had gotten into any content or technology. Speaking of content, the business presented a mix of renewed and new formats with Survivor Australia, Gogglebox, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Have You Been Paying Attention, The Amazing Race, and The Bachelor franchises all returning, plus new formats in uh, Would I Lie to You, Australia, and Hunted, amongst others. It also announced it had secured the FA Cup rights, uh, adding to its growing portfolio of football. Plus, uh, there was the now usual tech talk with dynamic e-trade placements and happy hour. Um, I want to know what you all thought about uh, the upfront. Cal, I might start with you. Is a content slate that includes the FA Cup and would I lie to you enough to grab buyers' attention? Well, I think it'll be interesting, just firstly on those two that you've mentioned there, Would I Lie to You, an incredibly successful format in the UK, 
similar to Gogglebox, which has done pretty well for 10 over here. It'll be really interesting to see how they do translate that. And it's, unlike some of their other pro programs, which are upcoming, they didn't really have too much to show um, or to preview and how that show is going to go rather than just a reel of the UK version, which, you know, as we all know, is pretty funny stuff. Um, the FA Cup on its own, I don't think is enough to really be driving subscribers across to their platforms, but, you know, it'll get people watching um, wherever they do put out. I think more importantly, it's just kind of adding to 10s um tends growing uh portfolio of football and as we might get on to later on and um as uh discussed in the podcast it'll be interesting to see whether or not that puts them in the place to be going for those english premier league rights in terms of the actual presentation i was really impressed with um how they were very upfront about diversity inclusion and being on the front foot about um their uh, net zero carbon emission targets. I think in comparison to maybe some of the other networks where it felt more so a little bit like ticking a box or an afterthought, um, I was really impressed with how they were kind of going forward with that. And also, uh, rather than just being straight up front with the content for the year ahead, I thought it was really great that they kind of focused on uh, almost a refreshing of the brand, you know, they, they are, as they were very keen to say, a multi-channel um, publisher this year. Yeah, the sustainability thing is going to be interesting. There's a lot of brands and a lot of buyers who have suggested they're going to be looking at investing more money into those brands, uh, media owners who are uh, carbon neutral or doing their best for sustainability. But uh, Emma, you covered off the upfronts in detail across a number of areas. Is this enough for... 10 Viacom CBS to compete with uh, the likes of 7 and 9, of course, which we've already seen there up front. It's definitely a bit of a tongue twister, that one. Um, I think that the company's focus is obviously, as Cal mentioned, um, you know, clearly around social responsibility uh, and they really did centre the conversation around diversity and equality, inclusion, et cetera. Um, but unlike 7 and 9 upfronts, which were very much for the most part kind of surrounded by their tech offerings. Um, I think it was really refreshing to, to see 10 really hone in on the importance of, of, you know, sustainability and really pushing for change because ultimately, you know, we know from research um, that we've seen, I think it was by Critio, uh, if I pronounce that incorrectly, apologies. But, you know, obviously they're really trying to, um, you know, resonate with Gen Z audience as well. Um, and they know from research in the past that they have, um, they're very much concerned with the future of the planet, how brands' actions and messaging around sustainability is important to them. So I think it was a clever move, but absolutely necessary to move in that direction uh, to create change. Uh, and that was really nice to see. And also in the presentation, it was nice that they, they, they started with an acknowledgement of country uh, and the network, network also giving an outline of their reconciliation action plan. So that was really nice to see as well. I guess we we really come to it for the content slate, though, and it was a fairly detailed slate. Tim, you made some interesting comments on Unmade, uh, particularly around some of the reality shows that they've got. Hunted, for example, was a, a bit of a standout there. What did you think about the the collection of content that they served up? Yeah, um, well, I suppose first of all, we you know we do come to the context that this is the one, the first one that's really felt like it's a presentation from 
Viacom CBS as the parent company, of which you've got this family of brands sitting under there, including 10, including the subscription streaming service of Paramount Plus, obviously even including, you know, your 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 pay TV channels like um, MTV and Nickelodeon. And then, of course, you've got your advertising-supported streaming service under 10 Play as well. So family of brands. Um, and that was one of the things that really interested me about this week's presentation was there was a, a, a lot to say about the Paramount Plus content. And that made me kind of think a bit, well, who actually is the audience of stakeholders they were presenting these upfronts for? Because normally it's it's fairly obvious. It's for um, uh, potential sponsors, whether they're sitting kind of, you know, m- kind of marketing CMO side or whether they're sitting within media agencies. Um, and of course, those are the people who want to look for advertising opportunities. Yet there was so much to say about Paramount Plus where, you know, with the exception of um, some of the sport, there are no advertising advertising opportunities. So that just made me wonder a bit whether there was a slightly different audience of stakeholders in mind. Now, it could simply be a way of just reminding staff that actually we've got a lot more going on just beyond what's going on at 10, where they are, you know, some distance in third place between seven and nine. Certainly not, you would have thought, the investment community in that, you know, um, the company isn't listed on the ASX here in Australia. So that that was one, I suppose, puzzle for me was culturally it was very interesting hearing so much about Paramount Plus and, you know, as a sort of observer of the, observer of the space. But from the advertising point of view, yeah, not quite um, sure why it had so much emphasis. Obviously, some of it fed into the fact that you know, now 10 has more buying power as a kind of um, commissioner of content. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of those things that end up on Paramount Plus initially do then get a run on 10 in some way or some shape or form, um, you know, down the track. Um, so, yeah, very interesting that, you know, as, as Emma mentioned, Hunted, which is this format where, you know, effectively it's, it's you know, groups of professional, prevent presumably, you know, sort of, People have been trained by the cops or whatever, or you know, worked in the cops to to track down fugitives as they run away through Melbourne. Um, whilst presumably the camera person following them tries to be as <laughs> inobtrusive as possible. Um, but, it was all um, actually it was all actually filmed last year, Tim, during the lockdown with uh, Melburnians trying to get past the ring of steel which surrounded <laughs> Melbourne. <laughs> it's just recycled content. That would certainly add a add a new twist to it. Um, and then, of course, we've also got this this reality format which is running on Paramount Plus of the Bridge, which is being filmed in Tasmania and is literally as a group of people trying to build a bridge and presumably having some sort of form of conflict in the process. Otherwise, it might not be that compelling content. So presumably it'll be about the, um, the, the, the conflict rather than just the scenery. So there was, yeah, there were a few, there were a few things to it. Um, but I, I suppose the, the, you know, the, the, the big impression I took from it was that whereas seven and nine went for very, very stable 
um, slates, which fair enough if they broadly feel that their their schedules are working. There are a few more risks being taken from ten, which certainly when you're observing the space just makes life a little bit more interesting. So so yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how you know would I lie to you goes, and and that obviously ties in quite nicely with the sort of their comedy panels with have you been paying attention and and the cheap seats you can see why that feels like a 10 show um but yeah how um how um yeah how hunted goes will be really interesting there was some more interesting talk in the tech space uh, as well which again you, you touched on a bit there tim the the dynamic e-trading happy hour uh, Emma mentioned it uh, as well. It's become a bit of a thing for upfronts to have technology integration mentions here. Seven and nine, of course, went really hard uh, with nine uh, Galaxy and, and Code 7 Plus. Uh, again, with the name thing, a dynamic e-trading. Um, and hey, happy hours a bit better. So good on them for that. But uh, what did you think of that uh, part of the, the upfront? Okay, I have a confession about dynamic e-trade placement. I read the press release and I didn't really understand quite what it was. So then I interviewed for Unmade, and you'll find the podcast in a previous episode of Unmade. I interviewed um, Gerald Villani, who leads the commercial side of of. of of, of the company, um, and also Beverly McGarvey, who I know we'll chat to a little bit later, who leads the content side. Um, and I asked Jared about dynamic e-trade placements. And even after he explained it, I still didn't really understand. Now, I don't know if that's just because I am a bearer of very small brain or whether, um, in fact, there was a lot of jargon to it that you're you know, average marketer or average person working in an agency may also not understand. And I am where, you know, where this becomes, I suppose a question for the TV industry as a whole is it does feel like all of the networks genuinely have moved along in how they trade TV, how TV's bought, how it's, you know, a lot more automatable, which makes life easier for the media agencies. Um, But there's a bit of smoke and mirrors going on between you know, all of the networks at the moment, they all use different terminologies. And yeah, absolutely. It's our jobs as trade journalists to really, you know, see through the smoke and mirrors to the reality. But also the industry as a whole is not doing itself a huge favour at the moment where everyone kind of beats their, che- beats their chest a bit and talks about, you know, what a great data partnership they've got. And from the outside, it's a little hard to tell the difference between a great data partnership and one that's just a bit of hygiene or just trying to seem that they've got what everybody else has. So I don't, honestly, to answer your question on what is dynamic e-trade placements, don't know. I'm hoping yeah. Callum or Emma can tell me. And look, with no pressure on, on Callum or Emma, I, I tend to agree with you there, Tim. But I would actually take it further and, and say that it's an industry-wide problem rather than just... A, a TV or media owner problem. I mean, I asked Jens Monsees when he was the WPP AUNZ CEO and managing director last year at the virtual Umbrella 360, you know, who the hell owns the the MarTech kind of pie here, who, who forwards that direction, who understands it, who communicates it properly. And there's just so much going on there and so many pieces of the puzzle and so many people who are invested in it, but at the same time, so many more who actually have to be part of it 
there's no way everyone truly understands what's going on here and the and benefits I, I, of it. I do think, funnily enough, as a result of that, um, from what I've been reading and from my understanding and from the buyers and you know our discussion, my discussion the other day with um, Bev and Rod, it what it ended up doing was place, placing a bit more focus on the happy hour um, offering because that is mm. much more palatable. It's much more upfront about what it is, and you kind of you know everyone says happy hour. It's a single product, and then you get the hour. Um, which you know, this is, is an, this is an hour where um, the content is ad free, thanks yeah. to the sponsor. And that, yeah. that you know, that's on face value seems like a really fun, smart, kind of clever little trick. Whether or not you know it works, and someone just says, "Oh well, here's my long ad. Let me go and get my bag of chips or whatever." And I'll by the time I get back, I've got a free hour of content that'll be seen. I think the happy hour option is a good idea for advertisers who can't afford a sponsorship of one of the major franchises as well. Uh, and I think any time you get to have a break from ads, audiences like it. Um, and I think advertisers will like it as well. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to, you know, what the cost rate and premium is. Um, and I don't think they really discuss that during the presentation. So we'll have to wait and see. So does anyone, can anyone help me out with what a dynamic e-trade placement is? Well, I'll tell you what. I was just going to say there was uh, a media buyer comment that kind of resonated with me because uh, like the both of you, I was a little bit perplexed with what it all meant. But uh, they did say that they liked the sound of the dynamic E-Trade placements due to the fact that they offer a real-time ad option for retail clients and they're able to showcase their products so advertisers can change pricing, images and offers every five minutes. That was the clearest the clearest comment uh, that I pulled out from the, the you know, the media buyers. Uh, an unnamed uh, source in the industry once told me about dynamic placement on digital outdoor that uh, in, in rainy days, it meant that someone like uh, Peters or streets or whatever they call themselves now selling ice cream could pull those ads very quickly uh, because who wants to buy ice cream on a rainy day? M- maybe it's something uh, around can't that. Doing that with programmatic advertising already. But did someone hear a can of worms opening? That's a good time to move on to the next topic, uh, which is the talent crisis currently gripping the industry in Australia. This morning, a report from the IAB Australia found that job vacancy rates for digital advertising and ad tech industry roles have more than doubled in the last 12 months to reach 9.8%. This being driven by several contributing factors, including strong market growth, changes in visa rules, lack of incoming talent due to border restrictions, and the entry of new large global organizations into the local market. It was rather well-timed from Umbrella in that I covered the topic in the most recent Saturday Best of the Week email with some pretty strong feedback from senior industry executives. And pedestrian group CEO Matt Rowley recently wrote on Umbrella about what has been titled The Great Resignation, uh, an expectation that post-pandemic there will be significant amounts of resignations. Uh, I want to go to the first to this morning's findings from the IAB. Cal, you spoke to Gayla Roy uh, and you also spoke to I Populate Belinda Lodge. Uh, what's the gist of this story? Yeah, so essentially the the big number that jumped out this morning was that um, vacancy rates for digital advertising and ad tech industry roles have more than doubled in the last 12 months to reach 9.8%. 
Um, you kind of touched on a few of those reasons earlier, and it, it's not a huge surprise. Um, but basically, the knock-on the knock-on effects are. And I, after I spoke to Gay, um, she was saying that what this is doing is it's risking. Uh, it has the risk of impacting investment in Australia by offshoring talent and innovation and kind of development in all those areas. Um, a few of these things, and this was actually, this was mentioned um, in the feature I wrote a couple of months ago when I spoke to Belinda from iPopulate, and then I spoke to her again this morning just for a bit of a, an update. And changes in visas in the last couple of years have kind of put a bit of a, a threat or but not a threat, but it's, it's narrowed the road for, um, it's narrowed the road for expats, you know, in, in getting to that permanent residency um, visas. So I guess what that does is you think, well, do I want to move out to Australia just on a short term thing? Or do I want to do what many, including Tim, yourself, you moved out here uh, uh, 14, 15 years ago, and now you're an Aussie citizen. Um, me, myself, I, I moved out here, obviously not by my own choice when I was much younger. I'm now an Australian citizen, but it kind of, it just narrows that gap a little bit. And this has then been um, furthered by COVID. You know, we don't even have those coming in who want to move out despite that. And then we also don't have those returning to Australia. It, it's really tricky because we do have senior level talent and from speaking to Belinda this morning, she predicted that um, we will see a lot of people or, or Australians returning, but this will mostly be at a senior level, which doesn't really help um, that kind of pay grade that we've seen. And, you know, what this does is it just, it, it means that agencies and businesses are paying well over the mark in order to get people through the door. And this is kind of, been evidenced in in a couple of pieces of work where you know you'll you'll pay 30 grand over over the expectation for someone who's young and inexperienced and then kind of bank on them getting getting the experience while they're in the role and in i guess whether or not this can be something that can be that can be like kind of pulled back a little bit will be seen and belinda does think that uh it, it can be um it can be solved and i'll tell you what though i'm, I'm- uh, one of the biggest issues with that, though, and it was an argument that I uncovered in Best of the Week, was it's all well and good to say that we're paying over the odds, but a number of people that I spoke to were suggesting that the odds were too low anyway. You know, so whereby 20 years ago, and this whole thing was about uh, an issue that's been decades in the making. It's not pandemic-driven. It it's, certainly hasn't been helped by the pandemic, hasn't been helped by the the visa restrictions, but it's not at its core due to either of those things. We're talking about uh, salaries which haven't gone up with inflation, which have stayed relatively similar, depending on the the industry sector you're in, for 20-odd years. But this Uh, isn't the whole industry going up in pay grade. I guess that's one of the problems is that it's it's not being measured in an equal rise across each of the pay grades no it's certainly not being measured in equal rise across each of the pay grades but fundamentally you've got this problem where generally speaking the pay grades particularly in agency land are far lower than what they should be so we're not really talking we're talking about a correction but we're not necessarily talking about paying over the odds here we're potentially talking about catching up with where the odds should be um, which is not really in play but of course what it does mean is that the industry is working on a business model that is factored in pay rates, 
which are too low. And well, so I mean, correcting that is a significant, significant issue. But th- this is one of the things that speaking to Belinda this morning, she really kind of um, drove home was that if this is going to be fixed, and she said, again, I'll say she said it can be fixed, but what it's going to take is a complete reconsidering of how the industry is structured and also how we're going back to work in general. Because at the moment, one of the problems is that young people just aren't being attracted to the industry in the ways that they previously were. And the IAB, as Gay mentioned this morning, is working with unis to kind of market advertising as an industry to get into it. And it's important to remember that this um, this talent shortage isn't exclusive to the advertising industry. So it's going to be a real competition in order for, I guess, the, the upper hand that this industry has is that it is a marketing industry. So maybe there might be better place to to market it itself. But, you know, another one of the problems, and this is uh, a kind of offhand comment that I heard was that um, what some agencies are having trouble with now is that advertising jobs, some people are turning down roles who are mandating vaccine, um, who are mandating vaccines in order to, to join the workforce. So I think it's going to be a really big challenge moving forward to see how the industry does look to adapt. And what it's going to need to do is rather than, you know, say what the answers are, it's going to have to look outwards, look to young people for their perspective and maybe acknowledge that, you know, these people uh, who traditionally have the answers maybe don't. I I reckon, uh, yeah, uh, I see what you're saying. I think a a few red herrings being thrown out from from different areas as well. I'm not even going to touch the the vaccine mandate thing, potentially a red herring, but hey, Mm -hmm. people believe what what people believe and that's fine. But um, I'd say the biggest issue uh, again, that that I uncovered on the the emphasis on young people, bringing young people, more young people in, spending more on young people, is still there's an expectation, and again, we're talking largely about agency land, where ninety to ninety five percent of a young person's time or a early employee's time is meant to be billable. So, what does that leave? for them to start doing training or for them to start, uh, you know, uh, adding to this. As a maths expert, I can tell you, Damo, it's 10%. (laughs) I always thought you were great with the spreadsheet, Tim. I always thought you were fantastic. And look, I wouldn't have the math skills to to doubt you on that one, to be very fair. Um, Which is a good time, actually, to to bring you in, Tim, because you've done two, two, three years as a trade journalist now. Give or take. Yeah, yeah. We're, coming, we're coming up on an equal um, trajectory, Tim, you and I. <laughs> That's what I thought. An equal opportunity. I, I, I've been probably shouting down the microphone a bit too much now. It, how, how are you seeing it now, Tim, by comparison to what you were seeing, essentially, I guess, when you entered the, the Australian market? Yeah, I. so I've been covering the Australian markets, for, for, as Callum was saying earlier, for about 15 years. And when I arrived the big hiring frenzy going on from agencies then was in particular media agencies and particularly they were hiring digital talent out of the UK. Um, and the the visa situation then was, you know, there was a much smoother pathway in that people even, you know, quite a long way into their careers could look at Australia from the outside and see that they seriously had a potential prospect that they could build a life and a career in Australia. And I think the situation with the visas at the moment is you either 
you know, it might be attractive if you're very junior and you're planning on spending a few years and it's going to be a bit of fun for a couple of years and then you might go off again or you're super senior and you can probably be got the correct visas that you do have a pathway way through to um, permanent residency. But it's the ones in the middle that there's not the route in that there previously was, along with, you know, there were some ridiculous tax perks as well. And I, I think they were hard to justify, but um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that they should, should bring back things like the living away from home allowance. But the question is, you know, we, we, as I say, we've had 15 years to get to this moment. And the complaint always was, why aren't we growing our own talent? You know, why aren't we training our own talent, investing in it? And we're back at that situation again. You know, the reason why there's a shortage is people aren't doing enough to retain their good people and they're not doing enough to develop their good people. Um, and the problem for a lot of kind of the multinational line businesses is they have to provide a profit number to the bosses overseas. You know, they need to, you know, provide a, let's call it 20% return on sale. Um, so they're just not able to do that and invest in people and training and all of those things and the, you know, the, 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 the time it takes. So you end up trapped in this cycle where, until somebody changes something, uh, there's 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 no obvious way to to break out. Sounds like a good time to wrap this segment up. But before I do, we did a, a quick poll on Mumbrella earlier on in the week where we asked whether uh, the talent shortage in Adland was something that had been decades in the making. Currently, uh, 109 answers, and the in favour of yes, it has been a, a few decades in the making, 82.57%. So a significant amount of people uh, saying that it is a very, very long-term problem. Time to move on, though. Coming up next, Cal will chat to 10 Viacom CBS's Beverly McGarvey and Rod Prosser. Ten Viacom, CBS co-leads, Chief Content Officer and Executive Vice President Beverly McGarvey and Chief Sales Officer Rod Prosser. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast and in your case, Bev, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So tomorrow you'll go live with your 2022 upfronts, which will, by the time you listen to this, be yesterday, the 20th. Um, it'd be good, I think, to start with the content slate. Um, so you, you announced returns for the Mass Singer, Master Chef, and Bachelor, um, despite all being significantly down year on year. What are your plans with these ones to intend that they they do perform better in the upcoming year? Um, I think it's a really good question. I think with the big legacy formats, um, they're cyclical. So you know, Master Chef was down compared to its monster year in 2020. But as a trend, it was relatively stable. And we certainly think that we can grow it. Um, we So many people watched MasterChef in 2020. We kind of, you know, they'd seen a lot of it. So we definitely think people will come back to it. And I think when you look at the big legacy brands across any of the networks, they kind of dip and they peak and they dip and they peak. And you really have to be careful to rebuild them every year and not walk away from something that audiences really love and that's really successful. You know, there's 75 hours of MasterChef. Um, so for it to do it's a really solid average audience, really good BVOD numbers and have really good engagement is incredibly important. And I think um, you will see that we've announced that this year we're doing a foodies versus favourites version. Um, and what we know from the research and, you know, from the ratings is that 
audiences love discovery. They like to see new talent, but they also like to see familiar faces. And foodies versus favorites allows them to see their, you know, their Julie Goodwins, whilst also finding some new people to engage with. So we're very confident that we can um, rebuild all of those brands. And, you know, two years ago, MasterChef had a relatively soft year and bounced back phenomenally. So we're very confident that all of all of those shows and celebrities returning, survivors returning, we have lots of really um, strong legacy formats that we know our audiences and our clients um, can really relate to. And speaking of um, this year's content, I noticed in the uh, announcement, there was no mention of making it. Um, what what were your kind of what's your take on that performance this year and will there be a return of it next year? Oh, making it didn't cut through the way that we'd li- we'd liked. The team that made it did a great job. The talent were great. It was really interesting and different and it delivered all the things that we wanted, but the audience just weren't big enough. We just couldn't get it to cut through. There's lots of big, noisy content on at the minute and it just, you know, it's a very gentle show and very different. Um, and we had hoped that that difference would help it cut through all of the other noise in the market and it just didn't, so it won't be back. And, you know, that's okay. We don't expect to have all of our shows returning every year. We have the opportunity to bring some new content to the slate next year as well as all of, the, all of that um, more established heritage brand that we've talked about so you know it is what it is and we'll have some new content in that slot next year yeah and um on that new content you've got a number of new formats with um would i lie to you australia first dates coming across from seven uh and hunted as well as a few returning formats do you think this will uh kind of contribute to 10 really showing consistency across the year yeah, absolutely. I think we have an incredibly strong first half. We have I'm a Celebrity launching on January 3, as it does. Then we go into Survivor, which is very strong. MasterChef, very strong, which we talked about. At the top of the year, we're layering in first dates. We're layering in what I lie to you. And when MasterChef's on, we come back to have you been paying attention in the cheap seats. And all of that really established content in the back of the year is where shows like The Bachelor sit. Hunted is really interesting. It will play in that second half. And um, as I said, it's important for us to have those consistent big brands, but also to be adding fresh content for audiences and clients. Um, and Hunted, it, it has that constructed reality um, methodology that we know our audiences love and relate to, but it is different in that it is a cityscape. It's an urban environment. And also um, lots of the big reality shows are in a bubbled environment. So the MasterChef Kitchen or the Bachelor Mansion, et cetera, et cetera. But Hunted is out in the world. So although that we we know that our audiences really respond well to that type of constructed entertainment, this brings a fresh lens to that because it's out in the world and because they can interact with other people so we're really excited about that very interesting production methodology as well production team with the hunters production team with the hunted they kind of don't cross over so there's authenticity in the show cool and and rod there's been a um, pretty heavy focus uh, not just on 10 but across um nine and seven this this year with the um upfronts on reality formats do you think that plays best for advertisers right now. And because, you know, things are moving towards BVOD, it is just increasing those opportunities for kind of integrated advertising opportunities. There's no question the opportunities are are vaster and and, um, arguably more integrated and we can do more bespoke things in reality TV um, than we could say with a a produced drama. Uh, But that's always been our stronghold in reality. And we we see with particularly a program like MasterChef, you know, continued um, support from advertisers just continue to come back again and again. Uh, Look, the interesting thing is um, for us now is 
how does that integration translate um, and follow through into our digital assets and and, and specifically um, Paramount Plus? So if you're into if you're integrating into MasterChef or one of our other reality formats, you're going to get that incremental reach delivered through um, Paramount Plus. Now we haven't we haven't formula formalized a monetization strategy around that. Um, at this point, but look, it's it's you know look there's so there's loads of opportunities for us to extend it across our digital platforms, and and you know the, I think the thing that we continue to focus on now is how do we how do we integrate advertisers into our BVOD environments? A couple of the products that that we we've announced at the upfronts um, play into that. Comes no will come no surprise to anyone that e-commerce is is critical to our business and indeed. Um, more broadly across television. And I think the, the wonderful thing is, is that BVOD platforms allows us to play into that sp- space. Yeah, um, with the announcement of uh, ten Happy Hour on 10 Play, it does offer the opportunity for those high-impact spots. Do you, How far down the line do you think 10 will be going with um, e-commerce? You know, 7 last week announced 7 Shop, um, so you've got those integrated opportunities. Uh, look, it's it's a massive category, and the pandemic has really accelerated that. And equally, it's it's now an opportunity for for broadcasters to play in that space as 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 our digital assets um, um, grow and the technology is more advanced. Uh, uh, look, it's it's huge for us, and it, it, of course, as you've seen with with some of our. Um, to our friends it's it's a um you know it's an important category and I, I think that we've just got to continue to meet the needs of our clients and the pandemic has again really accelerated that and it's a lot of home shopping going on so mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we indeed want to play in that space so yeah no question it's big for us as well is there any kind of idea what what sort of premium it, it will require to justify taking that that single ad spot and removing those ads for the rest of that hour it's a good question and, and, and something that I'm not going to un- unveil here and now. However, um, it will come with a premium and you would expect that because there's just less noise, um, so the share of voice is higher. Uh, but look, I, I think that that particular product will allow brands to build a brand and, and that's what television does so well. So yep. it makes a whole heap of sense that we start thinking about our um, our. BVOD service in the same way. Yeah. And then on the um, the sports side of things, you know, there's been significant investment, obviously, in football this year, that being a, a very kind of fresh and new area for 10. Um, how are you going to ensure that you do get a, a, a solid return on investment in this area? And uh, what, what do you have planned in the lead up to the launch of the uh, men's A-League next month and then uh, shortly after the women's? Um, in terms of all the activity that we have, you know, we obviously have the um, Matildas on Saturday, which mm-hmm. is probably the big first prime time on 10. We've had some fixtures that have played, you know, for a variety of reasons at um, not super friendly times of the night. So we have a lot of activity happening um, as we go in. There's some friendlies coming up. And then as we go into the APL um, in November, you'll see like big campaigns kicking off across the board. I think the really interesting thing for us is because we have all the events on Paramount Plus with select events 
on 10 and 10 play. We just need to, need to make sure that our understand that our audience understand where they can see stuff. So our big messaging will be everything on Paramount Plus with you know particular events on 10. So that's really how we'll position that messaging. Um, is that what you meant by that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, is there also any kind of indication on or an announcement on the broadcast partners and key advertisers yeah. for? It's it's a it's a great question, and and we're very close to announcing our full suite of sponsors. What I will say is that um, you know all the major categories that that tend to lean into sport uh, mm-hmm. we've secured, so um, we're probably you know you know a week away from making a more broader announcement around um, who they are. But we're real, we've been really, really pleased with the uptake. And, and look, we obviously went into to, um, you know, the, the, the proposition knowing that, the football proposition, knowing that we'd be able to monetize it um, yep. and monetize it well. And I, th- I, I, I believe that clients really have bought into um, and advertisers have bought into the proposition that we've um, positioned and that the football will go through somewhat of a, a relaunch, particularly the A-League, um, and advertisers want to come on that journey. So we've been thrilled with the uptake. Yeah, I mean, and just on that, I, I guess you mentioned there it is in a bit of a relaunch with, you know, the rebranding of the league. You've gone all in on football this year, but is there... A risk associated with that going all in on just one sport that is still very much in its development phase. Um, I think you know our our position always has been that we have taken a tactical view on sport, and when it makes sense for our business that we will do it. This really makes sense for our business because we can play all of the fixtures on Paramount Plus, and then we can obviously you know play certain things on 10 and 10 play. We're adding the FA Cup to that football offering as well, which, um, you know, we've just announced um, so that there's a bit of an international flavour with, you know, really premium global players, which is exciting. We will continue to look at sport on a tactical basis. And if it makes sense to the business across the board, across our suite of um, offerings, then we will look at that. So we obviously, we, we do have other um, tactical sports plays within our environment, but the football is obviously um, the most significant in terms of volume. We obviously yeah. have Spring Carnival coming up as well. Yeah, and just on the FA Cup, it's a really interesting pickup in your first kind of international domestic competition. Um, I, I would be uh, remiss to not ask with the the Premier League rights coming up then, it could be a nice pairing to to, to put with that. Is there any uh, any any thoughts there, Rod? I can talk to that. Like, as I said, like, obviously, we look at everything. We look at everything as it comes along. um, And, you know, we will examine all the opportunities as they, you know, kind of come along. I think all the big sports rights that come available at the minute, every player here would have a a serious look at everything. Yeah. You know. And um, I I saw some uh, interesting statistics last week from Roy Morgan reporting that there's 2 million fans, football fans that in Australia that are untapped by the domestic league. Um, how do you plan to maybe attract those fans and turn and uh, translate them into subscribers for your um, your your services for the A leagues this year? I, I think that's a really good question, and you know that's certainly the sort of numbers that we see when you look at the fan base. Really get night. Um, to the grassroots of those fans and making sure that they understand um, where they can see their teams play because I think there is a really strong grassroots community here in football and just, you know, working with the clubs and getting to those people. So, like, we, we already know that they're a very vocal fan base. You know, obviously, Paramount Plus has launched. The season hasn't started yet and we have already had phenomenal interest in people 
waiting for the football to come. So I think they're a very engaged group. We just need to make sure that they understand where they can see their teams playing. So I think it's a really good point. We just need to get at those people. Yeah, and I yeah. think that, sorry, Callum, I was just going to say that, and that is part of the reason that advertisers have, have, have you know, looked at our proposition and, and been really excited about how, how we're going to capture those two million odd people that, um, you know, as you rightly point, are untapped. So it really, it really um, for us, is, you know, as you said, an untapped area. So I, I think it, it, it's going to, you know, reap great benefits for both advertisers and us. Yeah, it's a very exciting opportunity. Rod, you mentioned um, earlier this year to one of my colleagues on Umbrella that um, 10 is the undisputed network for fi- under 50s. Um, but in you know in previous weeks, seven and nine have both pointed to Oztam data showing that ten is third in those in that demographic. What, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, sure, because um, it gets debated a lot, and and I need to be really clear around how we position uh, how we've positioned ourselves. Um, and the, the reality is, is we, we have a we, we talk about a percentage of our audience um, is sits within those those demos and and mm-hmm. skews under fifty. And, and that's, that, yeah, that can't be disputed. Um, so we, as Bev will know, our, our, our programming acquisitions and how we target ourselves or position ourselves has always been under 50s. So, you know, look, I, the, the, the debate that I have is we just have a high percentage of those demos sitting on our network, so we're more targeted. You're not, you're not paying for, for audience that sits above 50 because we just have less of them. So in a hyper-targeted world, uh, it makes a whole heap of sense to yeah. go where there's, there's a high percentage of those demos. And um, are there plans to really kind of push on 10 play this year? Um, I, I know that uh, I think to, in, in terms of um, audience share, the BVOD share is slightly lower than that. Is that an area that you see a lot of growth in the coming year? Um, absolutely. I think, you know, we've added a lot of content to 10 play this year. We really see it as an enhancement, you know, to 10 and the linear brands. Um, and there's a lot of, so the obvious stuff does well on there. So, you know, Celebrity MasterChef's doing well there at the minute. So the big broadcast brands do well, but also a lot of stuff does really well in terms of adjacent brands. So we've had Bachelor in Paradise US on there do a good job, Survivor South Africa, you know, things that 10's audience expect, but a bit more of it. There's also um, some more scripted content in there, on there at the minute. So really just ensuring that we can continue to grow template and accelerate template's growth is something that's really important to us, both yeah. audience-wise and revenue-wise. Nine and seven really played up their uh, signed-in uh, registered users this year with 10 million on seven and 14 million on nine. How does um, 10 stack up in that department? Yeah, look, we're really thrilled with um, how we progressed in, um, in, in our registered user base. Um, Obviously, we've been we haven't been member gating um, our content as long as um, our competitors. Um, having said that, we've got you know close to four four and a half million registered active users, uh, which gives us a really deep um, set of first party data. So we you know look obviously our profile is somewhat different to to our competitors. They have obviously some some you know different distribution platforms, which drives a lot of their. Um, you know, their, their, um, their users. So, you know, I think that where we stand right now, we're really thrilled because our data journey, um, has, we've really accelerated that, particularly over the last 18 months. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're pleased. Um, and then on to Paramount Plus, you're, um, you know, you're six, uh, is it six weeks in or around two months? I think we're about 
eight or nine weeks in now. Yeah, how how are you feeling about the performance today, Bev? Um, really good. Um, it's it's outstripping our expectation in terms of subs and subs and engagement. So we're very yep. happy with it. Um, streaming is a hungry beast that needs to be constantly fed with new content and new marketing, and but that's great. And I think just adding that element to our business has given us real scale in terms of commissioning and acquisition and being able to do that at a bigger scale benefits all elements of the business. It benefits 10 and the linear businesses as well. So although it is a hungry base, it's really exciting to have just that, you know, with, with having the linear services and the BVOD services, adding that IS forward element and having it also, you know, populated with content coming through from Showtime and Paramount Pictures, et cetera, is really exciting. We've commissioned a lot of local content as well and being able to service that audience, that premium S4 audience. It, it's really, it's a great addition to the overall kind of mix that we have in the market. Are you able to um, share any figures on that or is that something you're still keeping under wraps at the moment? I, I don't think anybody is super direct with their their um, numbers on SVOD. <laughs> All I will say is it, it's it's bigger than we had forecast. Brilliant. Um, and on the Paramount Plus advertising strategy, right now ads can really only be um, bought on live sport and integrated into your shows. Um, are there any plans to explore other areas uh, of this, maybe a premium service? Um, it, we have no other plans to um, for any other ads to be carried on the subscription service at the moment. Um, the light ad load on the sports tier is probably where we're at currently. You, mm-hmm. Rod? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, look, the, the as I said earlier, the, the exciting part is that we can actually get some um, – as Bev says, light ad load onto P plus, particularly in sport. And sport's an interesting um, proposition because we 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 know that that viewers are uh, much more um, willing to watch and and um, see advertisements within sport. And I think that the balance has got to be right. You know, people are paying for the service, so yeah. so you know, uh, dropping a whole heap of ad content in there whilst they're playing is, 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 you know, just a fine balance. So it will be light loads across sport and it will be very targeted. Yeah, and do you think there would be a plan for that, that sort of like tiered subscription base similar to, I think, what we see on Stan? Yeah, uh, definitely answer that. Yeah, uh, possi- possibly moving forward. This year the tier that we have is what we have, but moving forward, possibly yes. Cool. Um, and, and just finally, um is, is there plan, are there plans for uh, an app on smart TVs and consoles for Paramount Plus and um, at some point in the near future? Are uh, you talking about LG and Samsung? Uh, yes. Yeah, it's on the roadmap. It'll be yeah, it'll be coming along shortly. Oh, great stuff. And and on consoles, so PlayStation, Xbox. I don't know specific there all that stuff's on the roadmap, but I don't specifically know when. But I know LG and Samsung. I think Liz actually talks about that a bit, Rod. I think it's it's, yes. it's on the roadmap. Yes. Um, but not as quickly as the LG and Samsung. I think they're first. I think to, the the best you know response on that is that the, our, our distribution strategy is is one of as far and wide as we possibly absolutely. Can. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, Rod and Bev, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been um, really great chatting to you. No problem. Thank you. Great to chat. Thank you. Cheers. And that's it for this week. Thanks again to our sponsor, Sesame, and for Tim, Callum, and Emma's availability to hear me shout down the microphone. I very much appreciate it. Thank you, Damo.
Thanks, Damon. Cheers, Damon.